Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 13, Prince Family Paper. In this episode, David Wallace sends Michael on a mission, Michael feels conflicted, and The Office debates the age-old question, is Hillary Swank hot? We kick this episode off with your standard Jim messing with Dwight cold open. It is not uh, one of the better ones. Essentially, Jim found a bunch of wire at a flea market. He connected to the back of Dwight's computer and trailed it throughout the office. And up like a telephone pole, there's apparently 500 feet of this red wire that has Dwight questioning all the things and, you know, who owns it. And apparently we're supposed to, it just raises more questions than it answers in the sense of just why and how much time outside of the actual workday would Jim have had to spend doing this prank? (laughs) Yeah, Dwight's the only one that this would work on. I feel like if I found an extra wire behind my computer, I'd be like, huh, that's new. All right, what's now what? Right. Uh, And that's what Jim is sort of banking on. It's just a really, and it's a pretty quick cold open, really. And that's kind of all we get. I will say that this episode, like I have said in a, in a couple of previous ones, we're hitting sort of the bottom trough of season five. I do think it picks up again with next episode. So this one's kind of just okay, a little bit slow. The second storyline is just ho-hum. Even the main storyline is a little bit ho-hum. Yeah, not much gets accomplished here. In this episode, we don't learn anything that we didn't already know about any of the characters, really. So we kick off the episode with Michael on a phone call with David Wallace. And David says that they have not filled, like, the regional supervisor uh, position, I assume, like, since Ryan was left it. The job that Jan Jan had, then Ryan had. Right. So David Wallace is asking Michael to complete some of the tasks that would be done by this person, and that includes regional research. David said that there is a stretch of territory that Dunder Mifflin has never been able to crack into, and he says that it seems to be controlled by one small family business that, since they're not public, they can't get any information on. So he wants Michael to kind of infiltrate this company in order to get some information on them like pricing client numbers things like that michael is of course so thrilled at being given this task particularly because it's something that would have gone to that more senior position and he has brought dwight along with him and they are driving to prince family paper just this local company And they have these set roles that they're going to play in order to get this information. Because David sent over just, he faxed over just a list of things of what he's looking for. 
So Michael is playing a local businessman that's going to learn about what services they offer, pricing, as Curtis said, in those uh, things. And Dwight is going to play a paper salesman looking for a job. So they're not really far off of who they really are. Funnily enough, Michael's alias is Michael Scarn, um, which we know from season two is his spy character in his uh, screenplay. I think what we get most from this episode is just the interactions between Michael and Dwight and just the ridiculousness of them as a pair. Right. I would agree. They do pretty well. Rain Wilson and uh, Steve Carell acting this out and playing off of each other. I have to imagine some of it was probably improvised, though I didn't find any information to really confirm that. And I honestly wonder... Just seeing what Michael's strategy is for getting this information, I am very curious what someone like Jan would have done to get this info. I don't imagine she would actually necessarily go to Prince Family Paper and pose as somebody in order to get this information. But as David said, it's a private company. They're not publicly traded. He can't find this stuff that if they were publicly traded, would have been part of their SEC filings. I have to imagine that Jan's tactics would have been to have whatever branch was closest, whether that's Scranton or not, to just cold call the local businesses and just try and pick off as many of those as they could. Right. There wouldn't be this need for this sort of role-playing thing it might have taken longer perhaps but it would have been more quote safer I would say because we know that Michael is he he does improv he's taken improv classes but he is not the best actor he does fairly decently I'll give him that when he starts out so there's been an agreement between Michael and Dwight that Michael will go in first you know ask some questions and then Dwight will come in about 10 minutes later. Now, they've come in the same car. They've parked in a not, you know, the parking spot that they've chosen is not inconspicuous. It's pretty much right in front of the storefront for Prince Family Paper. So they're not doing a great job kind of being covert in that respect. But Michael asks some basic questions. He sort of shows his hand a bit by asking some very specific paper questions. Yeah, uses some industry jargon and asking about specific types and bonds and things like that, yeah. He is very surprised to learn that Prince Family Paper has 80 clients. I don't know if they're all high volume or if that's just their total, but for a small operation of three adults all related, they have a pretty steady business flow, it seems like, and Michael's pretty surprised by that. He is able to get, in the end, a lot of information, and unquestioningly so. Like, he takes a picture of Linda, the the wife and mom who's part of this family, in front of what looks like their territory. They have this big map on the wall, and it, it doesn't really have pins on it, but it just seems like that's who they serve. So that probably answers one of David's questions. Yeah, I think this is just a confluence of events in that Michael is, at heart, a nice guy, and that Mr. Prince 
also is a nice guy. So they just have general conversation and Michael is able to just glean some information from him by asking about his business. And Mr. Prince, not really thinking anything of it, is very forthcoming with this information. I would say that Dwight doesn't have the same level of success. He does get an interview (laughs) with the son, but I'm not sure what he's going to learn because it is a small family operation. It's not like they're going to give up, you know, what their salary is and they may not draw a consistent salary. You know, it could be commission-based. It could be dependent on what the orders are like for that quarter, et cetera. But it does not appear as though Dwight is really information gathering like Michael is because Michael does end up getting a list of their top clients as a reference. Prince says, you know, I'm sure you could call any of these people and they can give you a good review of our company. And for Michael, in the sense of the assignment that David has given him, that this is just a pot of gold, essentially. This is just huge information that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. But again, like Curtis said, cold calling, once they knew the territory area, it seems like either this place was in Scranton or somewhat nearby um, within that region of Pennsylvania. And so Michael and Dwight kind of make their way out of this office and they get in the car and they're in such a hurry to leave that Michael, instead of backing out of the parking space that he is in, pulls forward and drives right over the parking block. He then tries to reverse back over it and rips off the fender of his car. Also, this is the first time I've seen Michael in the PT Cruiser. It looks like he has a new car. No, this is not the first first time I think he's had it since this season I think last episode when he drove to New York it was the PT Cruiser okay I didn't I guess I just wasn't paying attention to that yeah and so hearing all of this commotion outside the Prince family comes out to find out what's going on they see the predicament Michael is in and Mr. Prince is very adamant about helping Michael Michael is trying to get still separate himself from these people because as we will see develop for the remainder of this episode, he his conscience is starting to get to him. As we said, these people were very, very nice to him, very forthcoming with their information. And as Michael kind of started to get to know them, it becomes very clear that this is just a very tight-knit, family-run business and he's seeing the writing on the wall in that if Dunder Mifflin were to poach some of these clients that's probably putting this family out of business and so as Mr. Prince is offering to fix help fix the car Michael's like no no we'll we'll just call a tow truck and we'll, we'll get out of here you've done enough blah 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 and again Everyone in the Prince family is very adamant about helping them. They bring out coffee to them. And Mr. Prince's son actually ends up fixing ish. He just duct tapes everything. Uh, But does actually end up fixing Michael's fender. When they get back to the office, Dwight is very much 
you know, ready to call David, give this information, get the kudos, and sort of be done with it. He does not have any second thoughts about giving up any information about the Prince Family Paper Company. Then there's this pretty long, drawn-out scene of Michael running away with the client list, like running outside, sprinting away from Dwight, Dwight taking the paper back, you know, Michael trying to take it again. So there's this tug of war. Michael's still not sure what to do. I think Dwight ends up convincing him by saying that if they don't do it to Prince Family Paper, some other company will, or some other company will do it to Dunder Mifflin. In the end, Michael does end up calling David, who is pretty thrilled at this. If I recall, we will get a very brief follow-up, at least by the end of the season, as to what happened to the Prince Family Paper Company. Michael is glad for the attaboy from David, still feeling a little bad. You know, it's tough when you see someone face-to-face, like that's how you're generating an understanding of who these people are, how their business works. If he had maybe just called or gotten this information virtually, hadn't spent most of the day with him, he may not be feeling as guilty as he does. Curtis, before we move on to our second plot point, is there, if you were to open a small business, what type of business would you open? That's a really good question. Um, I think I would open a barbecue restaurant. I used to work in one. It wasn't always like the most fun job, but I did enjoy working there for the most part. I got to do, by the time I left, I had pretty much worked every single job there was there. I didn't actually get to like prep the meat or anything like that, but I started as a busser and then I was a host and then I was a server and I worked in the drive-thru and while I worked in the drive-thru, I had to make all the food for the drive-thru people. So like I did some cooking if there was like a slow time and the cooks wanted to go like have a cigarette break, like essentially I covered for the line. And so like I did do some cooking. I knew how to make everything on the menu. Mm -hmm. So it would probably be that. I do have a smoker now and that's something I enjoy doing. And so just to kind of be able to like expand on doing that and like making my own rubs and maybe sauces and creating a menu and and things like that i know that there is so much that goes into a restaurant and so i feel like like once you actually get into it it'd be like oh man this isn't that fun i don't (laughs) i'm not sure like you you gotta really really want it and it can't just be like a you know what yeah sure yeah yeah it's not a hobby so I guess probably that. Oh, that's fine. What about you? Uh, I guess probably a bookstore, really. I mean, I enjoy reading. I like books. But one of the things that I know that this episode is a commentary on is just the sort of dog-eat-dog inherent nature of capitalism. And 
whenever I see this episode, I just think, oh my gosh, how difficult it would be to have a business like a local independently owned paper business. Yeah, this, I was thinking that as we were getting ready to to record this is that Prince Family Paper doesn't exist. There's no way Definitely that not anymore. If, if a paper company like that is on Dunder Mifflin's radar and there is just this seemingly large, I mean, we as we learned, 80 clients, seemingly large market share out there that they just can't like crack into, eventually they're just like, okay, well, we're just going to buy them out. And so, (laughs) like, at some point, Prince Family Paper is getting a cash offer that they can't refuse. Like, I think sometimes, what I kept thinking of is the movie That Thing You Do and how Guy's dad had the, like, TV and appliance store. Mm -hmm. And just those are they exist still but they're so few and far between and i do not know how those people make a profit well i mean it has to places like that started then and just established that reputation like for example here locally there is a rather notable appliance store that i have to imagine started out as kind of your patterson appliance thing and it just builds up this reputation to where now they have maybe two stores mm-hmm. and they're still like they're still doing it whereas you see i mean and it's kind of shocking if you think about it that they are outlasting the at least locally the sears yeah. of the world where kind of big box you can get anything there now sears is gone and this local place is still going strong seemingly yeah it's really tough because even if you we definitely try to buy local especially when it comes to restaurants and food establishments we are not as good at it when it comes to grocery shopping or like those things like appliances or clothes and part of it is I don't enjoy shopping so I don't enjoy going to five different places to really do that comparison shopping thing when I can get on a website and do that so that's just pure laziness but from the clothes angle I don't go to local boutiques because I am a very tall female and those only fit like off the rack your average size you know got to be a size six and five Five And so I'm not going to go waste a bunch of money on clothes that aren't going to fit me. Yeah. And it's kind of what you said. It's a cost benefit analysis. It doesn't, if it doesn't make sense to you to have to go to five different places, then you're willing to, it's unfortunate like that you are skirting going to five different local places just to go to one. Right chain or to go to amazon or something like i don't we have a couple of local bookstores still left and we do have a barnes noble but i couldn't even imagine and this is i don't have like a business mind i don't even know how do you get that off the ground like how do you get the books to sell like you'd have to make those contacts with publishing houses get the books in stock things like that and i think that's what 
is really difficult. And I'm, I'm sure the most common small business is probably a restaurant. But as we've seen through the pandemic, those operate on such razor thin margins. And it's really difficult to make that good and make that lasting and to not, like you said, it's not going to be a hobby. Like you're going to be living at that restaurant. If you're the owner and operator, you're going to be there you know, seven days a week, if that's how often you're open. I think a common line that is on Top Chef is, you know, the winner. Usually their aspiration is to open up a restaurant of their own. And they always say, you know, in the restaurant business, you expect to make, to have a loss for your first year, two years in business. And so they're like this, this cash prize would help me kind of bridge the gap in that time. So I think just because the startup cost for any business is just so astronomical. For like sure. you have to get a brick and mortar storefront. You, if it's a restaurant, you have to get all the supplies, all the food that'll be open on your menu. Cause most people don't like having only a few options. If you have a bookstore, appliance store, you have to get that inventory there and ready to go on day one. And so you've spent tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars before you even open the door to your first sale. So yeah, you capitalism, you got to be a millionaire to start a business. (laughs) Curtis, let's talk about our second plot point, which is... eh. I think it's fun. It's... It is slightly problematic, sure, but it is overall fun. It starts when Phyllis makes a comment to Stanley about his taste in women, apparently, because Stanley is a fan of Hillary Swank, and Phyllis apparently is not as much of a fan. And this ends up spreading to the entire office in debating whether or not Hillary Swank is hot. There is a small debate that breaks out amongst a handful of the employees and Jim tries to squash it right away because since Michael is gone, he is next in charge. And so he's trying to get people back to doing their jobs. He says, just quick straw poll, who thinks Hillary Swank is hot? Five people raise their hands. Who thinks she is not hot? Five people raise their hands. So his attempt to stop this early on fails. And it turns into a full-blown debate that takes up, seemingly, the entire day. Angela, of course, has objections to getting involved and to which Jim says no one cares and sort of just ignores her. And each person... Each team gets three minutes to send up a delegate to argue their position until everyone has been heard. And we do see, for the, for the most part, we see the majority of the people give their argument. Kevin, not a great, uh, not a great debater, not coming with a lot, but everyone has a different style of how they're trying to convince the others on the other team. So a quick break down the not hot side Kevin it's primarily the leader there I'd say Kevin Andy Phyllis Oscar 
Meredith. The hot side is Kelly, Jim, Pam, Creed, and Stanley. We won't go in depth to everyone's argument, uh, I would say, but Jim has a very interesting one. It's sort of meta because his stock as a movie star, you could say, and just as a TV star is sort of rising at this time. Jim's argument is that movie stars are real people. Just because she's in Hollywood or that her job is an actress doesn't mean she's not a real person. And so we shouldn't lose sight of that when we're debating her looks. I think that's a pretty fair argument. The only time we get close to the argument that I would make is when Kelly bursts into tears because Toby ends up joining the debate at a certain point and says that she's not hot. And Kelly says, well, starts crying that if people think Hillary Swank is not hot, then Kelly couldn't possibly be hot because she's definitely not as hot as Hillary Swank. And what, you know, and so then you really get into, and they don't really go down this path explicitly, is just beauty standards, Hollywood beauty standards. Hillary Swank is clearly an attractive person. I mean, she's not unattractive. I feel like I would be on the not hot side of this. Well, we don't need to recreate this debate here. Her and Jennifer Garner are very similar in my head in that there are times when I'm just like, oh, wow, they're looking good. And then other times I'm like, yeah, I mean, she's okay. You know, it's because it's hair and makeup. Probably. It's hair and makeup and they have the access to that. Right. But they also are like, you know what? I don't need to be made up unless I want to be made up 24-7 right? sort of thing. And I think what it comes down to, and Kevin at certain points demands that people respect the game because he says that Jim is arguing into, would you do her? Is she beautiful? And he's like, no, the game is hot or not. Right. Which I agree with Angela. It's sort of degrading. And yes, there are different levels of attraction but Kevin is also Kevin is saying he would do her even if he doesn't find her hot which is not shocking for Kevin exactly and and definitely people are attracted to different things but the fact of like is she this hot bombshell thing it's very much a Hollywood you know a magazine like tabloid magazine sort of thing even the 50 most beautiful people issue that people does every year it's starting to get a little tinged of like, ah, you know, again, conventional beauty and conventional attractiveness. and But but what we've set as this, and this is something, you know, I struggled with growing up. I don't have blonde straight hair. I am not 5'5". Five, five. I am not, you know, what you would consider like the perfect body size or shape by any means. And so, yeah, it is really tough. Like, I didn't really know how to style my hair very well, and I probably wasn't an attractive young person in middle school or high school because I had curly brown hair, and that's just not... Like, if you're going to watch, like, an average teen movie or something, if you think Mean Girls, they all had perfectly straight, pin-straight ironed hair, mostly blonde or highlighted blonde. 
Do you remember the website Hot or Not? Yes. Okay. I didn't. I, I was. I was curious if you were. That was your time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of course, problematic, because it was wasn't it mostly women? It was like high school or college age women. I think you could choose, like you like. I only want to rate women. I only want to rate guys. What a, like, think about that. Just think about, okay, I'm going to sit down at my computer, probably a desktop at that point. Mm -hmm. Maybe you had a laptop. I'm going to purposely go to hotornot.com so I can waste how many hours just judging other people's faces. Yeah. And so the debate rages on, as you said, Toby joins Team Not, but this is after... Angela joins Team Hot after she has had just enough of hearing kind of the back and forth for everything. And once everyone has made their arguments, they re-vote and the results end up the same. It's a six to six tie. And Oscar makes the good point of saying that's the problem with debates is that rather than people trying to change people's mind, it ends up just entrenching them further in their beliefs. And it takes just a chance encounter with Michael to end the debate. Michael has returned to the office. He has completed his call with David Wallace. He is feeling pretty down about himself. He walks from the open office area into his own office and sees the pictures of Hillary Swank that have been posted all over the conference room window and along the walls kind of in that area and just says, oh, who's that? And somebody says, it's Hillary Swank. And he goes, oh, yeah, she's hot and just walks into his office. And that's it. That settles the debate, even though I'm surprised that nobody asked Dwight to right. weigh in on this considering He's another vote that's just hanging out there, but he probably would have just voted along with Michael. And Ryan's not there, remember? He is in Thailand. So that pretty much does it for the episode. Let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. Other than the fact that this was written by BJ Novak, there's really not anything on this episode. Like I said, I imagine that some of the interactions between Rain Wilson and Steve Carell were probably... Uh, improvise especially when they start doing the Jaws theme song like it just seems like um, that's something you can also catch John Krasinski laughing or covering up his face to laugh in some of the shots like he's on the edge when they're doing the debate uh, yeah I noticed that when Stanley was making his yeah. pitch there has been no update remember last episode was the duel and seemingly the end of the relationships between Andy and Angela and Dwight and Angela. So no update there. Doesn't seem like there's any animosity necessarily between Andy and Angela, but nothing kind of connecting that thread for now. Curtis, do you think we have any firings this episode? I don't think so. We can't really fire anybody for not working uh, and taking time to debate whether or not Hillary Swank is hot because that sort of stuff just happens all the time in this show. Right. And we haven't fired people in the past for that. Right. We're sort of giving time wasting a bit of a pass. Yeah. 
what is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee is the Mathematician Award, which goes to Michael when he is at the Prince Family Paper offices. There's a little girl there. She's sitting next to her grandmother's desk doing some homework, though seemingly it's supposed to be the middle of the day. So maybe it's a school break or something. But anyways, she's having trouble with the math problem. And Michael kind of instantly steps up to help. And he's looking at it, and it's clearly some sort of algebra problem. And he says, oh, why are there parentheses? Okay, you just ignore those. And why is this two so small, which is probably something squared and he said okay well that's not supposed to be like that so this x means multiplication whereas i'm gonna guess you're probably solving for x and he says okay so it's gonna be four times two so what's four doubled and she responds eight and michael says great good job and walks away and immediately the grandmother comes over and is like don't write that down that's that's not correct so that's how i would prefer to do math now i feel like I didn't have to do any math in college, completed all my requirements in high school, and really just lost the ability to do anything beyond somewhat basic addition or subtraction, and sometimes not even then. Mm-mm. <laughs> Curtis, what is your Dundee? The best use of science goes to Oscar when he is making his case for Hillary Swank not being hot he produces an image of her on like a projector that has basically pointing out like the perfect symmetry of her face and the features of her face in that her features individually are perfect she has perfect eyes and a nose and mouth and it's all very symmetrical and that makes her beautiful but the combination of all those things does not make her hot And like I said, I guess that's probably pretty accurate how I feel about Hillary Swank. She's not unattractive. No. Who is your employee of the month? I ended up choosing Michael. He he fulfilled the dictates of the assignment from David and did it in a somewhat of a timely fashion. He did have some struggles with it, definitely but in the end sort of followed through and really went the business route and not, as Dwight said, following his heart. What about you? I also chose Michael uh, for those same reasons. He also settles the debate. Um, Something I was thinking of, though, is that, as we said at the beginning of this episode, David says that they have not filled the position of regional supervisor or whatever, Michael is on kind of a roll right now, and I am surprised that he does not get that job. I feel like in real life, that job would be his. If you think about it, the last three episodes have featured Michael doing well at his job. He produces a surplus in the surplus episode, and a pretty sizable one at that. He gets called to David Wallace's office as like a recognition of him doing really well and that every other branch is struggling to make ends meet and the Scranton branch is growing and making a profit. Now that meeting doesn't turn out that well for for Michael, 
but the recognition is still there. And in this episode, David obviously trusts him to do this job, and Michael does a very good job at it. So I have to imagine Michael should be in line for that promo- for that promotion. I wonder if the conversation that was had last episode when Michael went to New York could have been somewhat of a job interview, but Michael kind of blew it. That's a good point. <laughs> and David's like, oh yeah, this is why we didn't hire you. I, I think Michael does well when he doesn't have the pressure of eyes on him, but when he knows, you know, he, now in this instance he did it, but David wasn't there sort of watching. He wasn't asking to explain his process. But when, yeah, when Michael knows that someone liked what he did or is is wanting to know more is, or is checking in on his progress, he just really can't do it. There's a perfect example of this next season where Michael doesn't know he's on a date and is just very charming and laid back. And then he learns he's on a date and turns into bad Michael. Yeah, he just turns into a weirdo. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.